0: Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Teletabs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, Griffin Youngs. Hope you all are enjoying the downtime as we wait for the second round to begin. But before we get into our avalanche talk for today, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. It's playoff time, and that means big stakes and bigger promotions DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $5 into $200. That is 40 to 1 odds on any basketball game. All you have to do is pick any team that is still in the hunt for the trophy, and if that team wins, you will receive $200 in free credits. That's right. Pick any team that is still in contention, bet $5, and if that team wins, you cash $200 in free credits. That is 40 to 1 odds on any single team, and all it takes is a $5 bet. But don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds on baseball, hockey, and so much more every single day. And if you want to get yourself even more invested in the Colorado Avalanche's upcoming playoff series, DraftKings is the place for you. They are safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $5 into $200 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you can claim $200 in free credits. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So how is it going, everybody? I hope you are enjoying the downtime between playoff series. As of right now, we still don't know our opponent as of yet, as Minnesota beats the Vegas Golden Knights in Game 5 to force a Game 6. As I'm recording this, those two will meet again tonight in Game 6. We will await the winner still, but It's nice to have a little bit of downtime to just take a breath before getting right back into that anxiety-inducing playoff experience that we all know and love so, so much. But on the avalanche themselves, nothing really new to report. Seems like Alex Newhook has been in practice and is relatively okay. Bo Byram back in practice as well. All seems well. One small hiccup, Jason Meghna has been placed on the COVID-19 protocol. He is the lone avalanche player to be placed on the list as of right now. Braden McNabb in Vegas also on the list as well. So maybe over the next couple days have to sweat a little bit as we get some of those test results back. Hopefully everything with Jason Meghna will end up okay and everyone else can test negative so that we can head into that upcoming second round relatively healthy, but as of right now, it's really just waiting for Vegas and Minnesota to wrap up, and maybe by the time that this is up tomorrow, that series will be wrapped, and we will have our opponent, which would be Vegas, but maybe Minnesota can force a Game 7 on Friday, so should be interesting to see how that series turns out, but for today's episode, I have brought aboard a very special guest, Mr. Drew Livingstone of sportsnet.ca we had an outstanding conversation looking back at the Avalanche's series against the St. Louis Blues and looking ahead to the second round and hopefully the rounds that will come beyond as well as some talk about the Nazem Kadri suspension and just how fair we think it is but without further ado let's get right into the conversation with Drew Livingstone of Sportsnet All right, I am pleased to bring aboard Mr. Drew Livingstone to the show. Drew, how are you doing today? Not bad, Griffin. How's it going? It's going pretty good here. Can't really complain with how the Avalanche have been as of late, and the playoffs around them have been pretty pretty fun to watch as well, so I really can't complain.
1: Yeah, I mean, whenever you sweep somebody, and the history behind sweeping series for the Avalanche is pretty good, so that's got me excited as well. Mm-hmm. And you look at the
0: the history of Avalanche President's Trophy, Avalanche Sweeps. They both seem to coincide with a pretty important year for the team. Yeah. So that's got me feeling pretty good about them. But before we get too far uh, in the ads, let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, what do you do
1: at uh, Sportsnet and where can everybody find your work? So if you go to YouTube.com slash Sportsnet, you're going to see a bunch of content. And I pretty much I have a hand in a lot of it. Obviously, I can't cut every single video, but at Sportsnet, I help ideate. I help uh, choose and just help decide the direction of the YouTube channel. Uh, as you can see, we do a watch along with Dangle for the Leafs games that I helped uh, come up with that, and it's been very successful. So it's just shooting content, editing content, producing content, coming up with ideas. I'm a I'm a Swiss Swiss knife. Uh, a pocket knife, if you say, if you could say for Sportsnet. And I'm also known as the Dangle Wrangler, because uh, if you need to contact Dangle, you go through me, essentially. I've
0: heard plenty of stories through the the SDP and Steve Dangle about you. That's really how I found you for the show, hearing about how much of an avalanche fan you were. How did that start becoming an avalanche fan and everything?
1: So obviously, I grew up in Toronto. Uh, My older brother was a big Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And me and my brother did not get along, as I know a lot of brothers do. So I was like, I hate this guy. I can't cheer for the same team as him. And, uh, in 96, after they won the cup, I guess my parents were at Walmart and that merchandise was cheap. And they were like, Hey, they just bought me some Colorado stuff. And that's, that's where it went from there. In 1997, I was rocking Patrick Wad jerseys to school.
0: Sounds like you made a pretty solid choice between the, the Maple Leafs and the avalanche. When you consider the, the histories between the team, I bet you feel pretty good about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, it speaks for itself. The, the I don't think the Leafs have won a series since 2004, and I actually remember that night because uh, the Colorado Avalanche were eliminated that same night to the San Jose Sharks. I remember Roenick scored an OT winner against the Leafs, and I remember razzing my brother making fun of him. Like, ah, your team sucks. And I think it was within that hour San Jose eliminated Colorado, and he came up and just beat the crap out of me. It was pretty funny.
0: <laughs> I can only imagine what that's like. But speaking of series wins... The Avalanche wrapped up their series against the St. Louis Blues in a four-game sweep. Now, a lot of people predicted the Avalanche were going to run through this series, I imagine me and you included. But I, I said Avalanche in about five. My original prediction was actually six. I changed it to five before the series. Was this series against the Blues easier than you anticipated it to be? Because to me, it felt like there wasn't as much pushback from St. Louis as I was
1: expecting. What do you think? I honestly thought it had the chance to go seven. I thought I had originally picked Blues and six. I didn't realize David Perron was going to be on the COVID list when it started. Um, that's a huge that's a huge thing to, to hold out of their lineup, a uh, huge player. Uh, and then their injuries on the back end, I think that played a huge part in the series. I didn't think they were going to walk through them the way they did, but I mean, here we are. It's. I think I don't think anyone actually predicted a sweep. If you did, you were lying to yourself. I know is in at The Athletic said we had like a 95% chance to, to win the series. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. But yeah, I mean, it was a lot easier than I expected.
0: Yeah, it was very strange, especially game four, I thought felt very off from the, the Blues perspective because I was really expecting like a strong pushback. But I had to kind of remind myself that that was a playoff game at certain points, and It it felt like they were
1: playing shinny almost even the avalanche.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it felt like at a certain point. Even though the blues got on the board first, I never once doubted for a second that they were going to win that game. The whole series just felt kind of odd. So how do you think that happened? How did the avalanche just dismantle this team so completely Were the blue, was it really just the blues injuries that had them completely outmatched or would it really not have mattered to begin with from your perspective?
1: I think no matter what, the Avs were going to win that series, but the injuries played a huge factor when it came to 5v5 hockey. I mean, if you look at the core C4, I mean, the McKinnon line was shut down pretty well at 5v5. So, like, they did a, they did a good job shutting them down, but just so many penalties and the Avalanche power play so lethal. But lines two, three, and four for the Avs were just so dominant in possessing the puck. And they just had no answer. And I think injuries played a big factor. I mean, when you have only four NHL defensemen on your team in the playoffs, you're not going to win many games. And that's, I think, what hurt the blues the most.
0: Yeah. And like looking at this series, this really felt like one of the most by the number, by the paper, just it went it kind of exactly how you would expect it to when you have, in my opinion, one of the best teams of the last decade with this Avalanche team going up against a team with. A losing record and I've really never seen a series just go so according to plan I would call it. even look around the playoffs right now there's plenty of chaos going on
1: yeah I think the only other series that I could say where what's happening is what we expected would be the Habs and Leafs where people expected the Leafs to run through them yeah they had a little blip in game one but their captain got injured and I don't think that really counted and now they're sweeping them in five I think yeah,
0: exactly. More the, the gentleman's sweep, as it's called. We
1: saw that with the, the Caps and Bruins a bit earlier. Exactly.
0: But is there any part of this series that you feel like somehow could have gone better for the Avalanche? It's hard to really complain about anything, but was, was there anything you think they can improve on heading into the second round?
1: I think the third pair needs to be better. I know uh, Timmins Timmins did not impress me. I know Byram's coming back, so I think Timmins gets taken out of the lineup, but... Uh, N- Nemeth and Timmons did not impress me at all in this series. I felt like they were always in their own end. Um, and honestly, <laughs> there wasn't much to improve on. I just, I honestly wish they got more shots against because Grubauer wasn't really tested. And I know if they go up against Vegas, he's going to be seeing 30 plus shots a night. And it's not going to be this easy 17 shots, 18 shots against. And if they go, then again, if they go against Minnesota, I think they sweep them as well. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think I completely agree with that. I'd say like the one weakness on this team is that third pairing with Nemeth and Timmons. And I'd say more so Nemeth because a lot of the Blues goals, I felt like kind of put him center stage with some of those turnovers that he had. And it's just, we didn't, it doesn't need to be like this. I I hope when Byram comes back that it's can be a better lineup for the team. And with Nemeth, I know he does a good job with the penalty kill and everything most of the time, but that was really a discernible weakness that I found. I agree with, with Vegas, especially with Grubauer that St. Louis didn't really pepper him as much as I was expecting them to. And if they do go up against Vegas in that second round, I think it's going to be a lot more of a challenge for the team, but on, on the other side of that conversation, outside of Nathan McKinnon, who was outstanding in this series, obviously,
1: who would you say impressed you the most? It's got to be Belmar. I mean, he was unreal on the penalty kill and his and his forward checking. I mean, I was like, give this guy more minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with him playing 17 minutes a night right now, the way he was playing. Uh, he's such a secret weapon that uh, for the playoffs, especially, that just the way he just, he doesn't care about his body. He's just like, oh, I'm going to throw my body into this corner, throw my body in front of this puck. Uh, I honestly think he's their best utility player outside of the top line. I know that's crazy to say, but... I know Jost has been very good as well, but yeah, Belmar for me. Yeah. Belmar has been
0: very underappreciated. I would say so far this season, he, he just gets kind of buried underneath exactly. all of the, the talent that this team has. Like, I feel like a lot of people that aren't abs fans would kind of forget that Belmar is even here. I think I've seen that a little bit that when the Belmar goal notifications come up and especially when he was Playing well against the Blues, I saw a bunch of people being like, when did Belmar get here? Has he been here for more than a year? But I'd say for me, it would have to be Philip Grubauer and how he shut down the Blues a lot in this series. Because there were times that the Blues pushed and gave the Avalanche a little bit of trouble, but Philip Grubauer just about snuffed out every bit of hope that St. Louis had in this series. Every time they had a decent scoring chance, it just felt like Grubauer was there to answer the call. And going back a little bit to the, the weakest points is that a lot of people feel like that Grubauer is the weak link on this team. For yeah. I don't reason. get that. I see it all over social media. I, I completely disagree with that. And I've disagreed with it throughout this entire season, that the avalanches goaltending is their weakness. When you get past Grubauer, Sure. But in the playoffs, I feel like that's the same case for a lot of teams. If you take their starting goalie out of the equation and with Grubauer, I've seen no instance during his avalanche tenure that he's been unreliable. So I thought it was great for him to have such a great performance against St. Louis and really silence a lot of the... really pundit opinion that Grubauer is the weak link on this team. What do you make of some of this yeah. Grubauer criticism?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I see it all over. They're like, Oh yeah, I feel Grubauer is not really a starter. I'm like, he was 30 and nine. Like, how, what do you mean? He's not really starter? He's right. going to be nominated for the Vezina. I, I would almost guarantee it. He's going to be one of the three nominees. Um, yeah, I don't. The issue is that with Grubauer that I find is that when I'm watching and there's someone battling in front, I'm always like, Oh no, don't touch him. Don't touch him. Cause he's so just so fragile. That's the only knock against Grubauer is that, Honestly, if he was healthy, they probably make the Stanley Cup Finals last year. Uh, I, no offense to Michael Hutchinson, he's he's okay. And Francois going down was not good either. But yeah, I think if he stays healthy, they make the finals.
0: Yeah, I mean it's hard to it's hard to argue with overtime game seven. If you put even just one of the two goalies in the net, it's hard to argue that maybe the Aval- it doesn't even reach that point and the avalanche win even before that. And I agree that Grubauer is going to get a lot of Vesna. Nomination, but and a lot of this opinion is coming from the same people that are going to be voting for him for the Vesna. So,
1: yeah, I don't know. And then yet you see Jack Campbell wins ten games in a row, and he's a Vesna immediate contender, starting goalie that everyone loves. So it's just it's just the media market. No one pays attention to Colorado, so they just see Grubauer and they're like, ah, he was a backup when Washington won the Cup. He's nobody.
0: Yeah, and despite the fact that Grubauer has been starting here for three years now and is even yet to be below a 9.15 in save percentage on the team. Exactly. This team, for as good as they are, still gets underrated. And I think one underrated part of this team that I think people acknowledge but don't really understand just how good it is is their young guys that aren't even really in the NHL yet. Specifically, Alex Newhook, who has become a brilliant addition to this team in my opinion in the last few games and as well as Bo Byram who's kind of flown under the radar this season due to his injuries what have your thoughts been on Alex Newhook and just how unfair it is that a team as good as the Avalanche has these guys coming up the pipeline to just take some jobs probably as soon as next season
1: yeah honestly I think he's he's a top six forward next year I think Uh, I think it's almost a lock whether they put him on the wing or try him at center they'll probably put him on the wing um. Yeah, I mean, he's such a good weapon. I I hate that he's not getting many minutes, but it's because the lineup's just so, got so much depth. We'll see how the expansion draft goes. Uh, I, my, I'm predicting Graves is gone because there's not really... And that's if EJ waves his no-trade clause, which hopefully he does. Um, but yeah, and then Byram on the back end is just unreal. I, no offense to Timmons, but I think once Byram's back, I don't think he sees any playing time.
0: Yeah, with Timmons, it's tough, but I I was impressed with him down the stretch this season. He's obviously had a very bad history of concussions and bad luck with injuries. So it's good to see him finally turn it around there, but I don't know if this playoff is going to be his, his time to break out. I think that's next season when he
1: can start to really so, carve about a spot for himself. So you agree that Timmons comes out when Byron's back, not Nemeth.
0: It's, it's tough because I think
1: Nemeth, gets the tie
0: because he's a veteran and the the veteran always gets the tie, especially when a guy on the penalty kill, I don't necessarily agree with it. I think Nemeth is a bit more of a weak link. I just think Timmons, if he cleans up some of his decision-making can definitely stay in the lineup. But I think especially looking at Bednar that he would keep Nemeth in over Timmons and with Byram, it might be a little weird at first. I actually don't know if he would come in for game one against either Vegas or Minnesota just because he's a 19-year-old kid that hasn't played hockey in really about two months. Hey, it like worked from a years. car. It did work from a car and it seemed <laughs> to work for New Hook pretty well, too. And I do want to see him get in, especially I want to see him get some vengeance against Vegas for hurting him all that time ago and setting him down that whole uh butterfly effect of injury. I hit that was the, not reviewed by the Department of Player of Safety. Review. And we well, we can cover the Department of Player Safety in, in just a <laughs> second, I'm sure. But I really want to see what Byram can do in the playoffs because I feel like we were really robbed of his rookie season for the most part.
1: Yeah, I almost think like maybe they try seventh defenseman, and give him like five or six minutes in the game one or something like that. But I don't know what Bednar's thinking around that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that probably would be a good idea because we don't really know the status of Alex Newhook right now. He did go down the tunnel in game four and he seems like he's on the ice and practicing and everything. But with the a kid as young and as inexperienced as new hook, I don't know if you make that risk right away. So I think seven defensemen could be a pretty solid idea, especially for the first few games. While maybe the team's uncertain about the health of new hook.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, hopefully new hooks back, but even if he is, who would you rather in your lineup? I almost would rather pick Byram over new hook, to be honest, just because of the depth they have. Yeah. And when, when you put it like that, like when you,
0: I mean, you can maybe take away from the fourth line on your offense and just add a little bit of stability to that third pairing, which we both agree was the weakness on this team. And I love Alex Newhook. I would love for him to stay for sure in the lineup, but I feel like that would be a necessary, especially if he's not 100%. If he's not 100%, like, I wouldn't totally be comfortable throwing him back in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, the issue is... Was- Newhook's not a fourth-line grinder. He, he's extremely skilled. He, he reminds me of Tyson Jost, except he's he's better than Tyson Jost. Let's be honest. You know, right. you can see Again. it already that he's gonna be advancing a lot higher than Tyson Jost has. Um, so I think he'd be more better suited for a third-line role, and that's just not there. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at the the
0: top six for the Avalanche right now, there is a massive hole where the second-line center used to be because of. Nazem Kadri I feel like that's one of the big storylines from this series outside of the Avalanche's dominance is Nazem Kadri's hit on Justin Falk and being suspended for eight games I believe the earliest he could be back is game seven of this next series I believe which is which is tough do you think eight games is a fair suspension for Kadri or do you think the Department of Player
1: Safety got it wrong again you know what? I will say, I think they got it right. It's just weird to me that Kadri seems to be the only player that they get the suspension length right on, if that makes sense. I, I, I expected it, so. it to be almost 12. So it'd be guaranteed that he misses the whole next series. But so, and then people were saying five, so he only misses round one and it was in the middle at eight. So yeah, it's just weird to me that department of player safety comes down hard on Kadri, but no one else. Yeah. And it's,
0: it's very strange because I agree. I think they got the cadre one, right. When you look at the, especially the circumstance of the suspension, the first round of the playoffs, it's the first two games. And the last time this happened in Toronto, he got suspended for the entire first round. So it seems like only natural progression that he would get the rest of the first round and pretty much all of the second round at that rate. But it seems like he's really the only player that they get these suspensions correct for, because I think that's a very strong deterrent for Kadri for a guy that's been suspended now for three of the last four post seasons for just really, really dumb and just needless plays. I mean, that hit on Justin Falk might've been one of the worst of the season for me, in my opinion, just in terms of head. Oh,
1: I think it was worse than his other two suspensions for sure. as well. The other two, he just lost his temper and did something stupid. This one, he, uh, he could, like, I know Falk people were saying Falk was unconscious. It seemed to me that like he was fine on the ground at the, after the hit, but it was a, it's a stupid play. What are you doing? It's-
0: yeah, it's just, and when you look at what happened because of it, the, the Blues had a five minute, all you can eat power play. They scored on it, and all of a sudden, that's a one goal game. And thank God for Nathan McKinnon to put that game away, or else we, like, the Blues scored another goal. We could have potentially had the series go five or lost that game because of a, a three nothing comeback.
1: Yeah. that I was, I was so mad, especially when they scored the first one. I was like, this is what this guy came here to do. Like, this is why Toronto traded you and you're proving them right. And like right now, exactly. last year we were like, Oh, Colorado clearly won the trade. Now you're looking at Kerfoot's got five points in four games for sort of the Leafs. kadri has got what? One point. Yeah. And in his two games. <laughs> yeah. And now
0: you look at entering the final year of Kadri's contract and we can tie Alex Newhook back into this. Like when you look at This, like you said, this is how we got Kadri from Toronto because of this, because he was essentially a non-option in the playoffs for them. What do you think about Nazem Kadri's future with this team? Is this something that you think would impact his final year on the team, especially if you can't rely on him to be there in the postseason? And when you have a kid like Alex Newhook or to even an extent Tyson Jost to come in and maybe play that second line role?
1: Yeah, I just, he's on such a good contract that I don't think you move him. The only thing I could say is like, if they're, if Sackick's very like pissed off at him, they expose him in the expansion drafting. Seattle's guaranteed to take him, but I don't think you would do that. Uh, well, he also has a new moon class, so you couldn't do that anyway. But yeah, um, I don't think, I don't think you move him. I think you just hold on. It's, it's his contract's so cheap. It's so, it's an awesome thing to build around. You just hope he doesn't do it again. And I know it's stupid to say because he's done it three times, but. Yeah. I mean, hopefully his his suspension gets hits the appeal and it gets lessened to six. That would be my guess, but we'll see. Yeah. It's
0: just a very, it was just a very strange circumstance of the whole thing, because in my opinion, if I think if this happened in like game 30 of the regular season, I don't think it would have been as harsh of a suspension. I think maybe like five or so games, maybe similar to what Wilson got for Brendan Carlo, but I think it was just because of the exact circumstance of it's the first round it's the first two games and you're doing the same dumb shit again that you yeah. did the other two times like you're clearly not getting it. I think that's uh, honestly what facilitated this harsh
1: suspension for him. The issue with that is though, why don't they do the same thing for Tom Wilson? Like he's clearly not getting it either and he gets off scot-free. It makes no sense.
0: Yeah, the whole I've saw a lot of people bring up Tom Wilson for the cadre suspension. And like we were saying earlier, like it's just the department of player safety got the cadre one, right. But they seem to get the other ones wrong. It's just, it doesn't make, I don't understand where they really come from for a lot of this. And I like, maybe they learned their lesson with the Wilson fiasco and the whole, and the mess that was the Rangers game for the Caps. Yeah. It's made. almost like
1: they punished cadre for getting the Wilson one wrong. Like they're like, Oh, we better get this one. Right.
0: And it's like, I'm going to hold out judgment on it if they start following that standard now. Right. If they learn their lesson from Wilson, and Kadri just so happened to be the first example. After that, then I would be a little less harsh, but I don't want to give the Department of Player Safety too much credit because they haven't heard the,
1: the language in the rulebook. Too makes no sense. Where it's like I don't get your that. your previous suspension only comes to account if we deem this play suspendable. Otherwise, the 18th month rule comes into play. And I was like, okay, so they didn't deem Tom Wilson's play suspendable, so that his history didn't count. But if they would have said that was suspendable, then they would have weighed his history against it. And I was like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. And it's, been, it's like. With Tom Wilson specifically,
0: his history did come into account when he got suspended earlier in the season, right? And this time it didn't. So, and what I don't understand about it the most is that the maximum you can get fined is five thousand dollars. Yeah. So, and you're a cup of coffee. Right. You're pretty much going to get that. Any If you do like a finable play, that's not suspension worthy. You're going to get 5,000, whether you're Tom Wilson or Alex Newhook, who has no history. So I don't understand the language of that rule. It only comes into the monetary fines, but not. Yeah, for, you, you can only get a
1: max of 5,000. So how's it going to make that any worse? Right. Exactly. So it
0: ultimately, maybe that's why the rule exists. It's just because it doesn't make a difference anyway. But at that point, why even have it?
1: Yeah, I mean, they definitely have to do something with it. And like Bednar said, like the head coach doesn't even know the rule. There's something wrong when the NHL head coach doesn't know how the suspensions work. And after the game, he was like, oh, I thought there was an 18-month rule. And it's like, no, no Bednar. Like, that's not how it works because of blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, well, why doesn't an NHL head coach know the rule book? It's because yeah, it's so confusing. The weirdest thing to me
0: is I noticed this before the playoffs when Miko Rontanen got suspended for, or not suspended, he got fined for diving got yeah, and the NHL seems to have that airtight because they apparently there's this whole rule that it gets increasingly more each time, and if like a certain amount of players on a team get fined for diving, then it starts to go to the coach. So I don't understand how they have diving locked down yeah. so efficiently with apparently a great system that deters people from
1: diving, yet they can't figure this out. It it makes absolutely no sense. Uh- uh, yeah it's almost like they just roll the dice like hey this rule let's oh we got a three on the dice all right that's only five thousand dollars oh we got a four this time all right five game suspension <laughs> it's just yeah. it doesn't make sense it just it doesn't make any sense because
0: as an abs fan i'm mad that Kadri got suspended eight games but i'm mad at Kadri for getting the suspension but i'm mad at department of player safety for not having a standard it's just it's a very confusing thing like because it's Kadri's fault. No one made him do it. But what is going on here?
1: Yeah, like no one's no one's defending Kadri. What he did was stupid. He deserved eight games. If Even though he appeals, maybe it goes down to six or seven. We'll see. I doubt it. But here's hoping. Um, but yeah, it just I wish they would release a video every single time they didn't give someone a suspension as well. Like where's the Tom Wilson video saying like, hey, we didn't suspend them because blank, blank and blank. Instead, it's just, you get the video for the suspensions and here's why they got eight games.
0: Yeah, it's just such a such a broken system. And it's it's a shame that we even have to spend this much time talking about the department yeah. of player safety when we were talking about the abs just swept and we're waiting for our next opponent. It's just, it shouldn't take up this much of the conversation in what has been a pretty eventful year. It's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, how, how do you think they do in, in round two without Kadri? That's the biggest question.
0: Yeah, and then Stout, Per- that perfectly leads me right into the question I was just about to ask is then, how what will be the key for the avalanche to advance to the third round, whether it's going to be Vegas, which I think it will be, or if it just so happens to be Minnesota by some miracle, what do you think is going to be that the, the biggest key for the team to get out of that?
1: well fingers crossed it's minnesota because i think they can walk all over them i think i mean they're the what are the third worst coursey team in the nhl and like number one pdo for puck luck like they're just brutal so i think that would be a sweep almost they're almost easier to face than st louis in my opinion i was like i want to win the division but i think they'd match up better against minnesota honestly that was my thought um so yeah hopefully maybe talbot stands on his head the next two games and they win in seven but that's highly unlikely and against vegas i mean you need cadre. I, I it's going to be so tough with Tyson Jost up the middle and Confer up the middle and your second and third line. It's, yeah, they're decent players and Jost has improved a lot and Confers improved a lot, but can they shut down the Vegas forwards like after line one? I don't, I just, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think the advantage goes to Vegas with Kadri out of the lineup. I know the Avs have better defense. It's close, but I think the Avs have the advantage there. But if Flurry plays as well as he's playing, I think Colorado's in tough.
0: Yeah, and it's just, one of the advantages that the avalanche have over the golden Knights is their center depth because Vegas has never really had such strong center depth in their existence. Top line guy is Chandler Stevenson, fine player, exactly. but he'd probably be a third line guy on most teams and losing Kadri, I think definitely hurts their chances a lot. Even if he struggled a lot this season, I hope Tyson Jost can fill that role. And because when, what I think about this series is that, Vegas has done a very good job of shutting down the top line for the Avalanche in a lot of their games this season, like McKinnon, Jost, or not Jost, Landeskog, and Rantanen have been kind of quiet for some of those games. So you need some of those other lines to step up for them when the, the top guys aren't playing as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at Mark Stone, he's the best defensive forward in hockey. So anytime you have anyone going against him five on five, you're not going to have success. So that that's the first lines cancel each other out, almost despite the advantage with McKinnon over Stevenson. So then you go to line two and Carlson against Comfort. And it's just like, uh, like Kadri you could say is probably better than Carlson, but I can't say that about Comfort. And then all of a sudden you're going to the wings and you're like, uh, Vegas might have the advantage there as well. Because Riley Smith and March still are better than the second line wingers in Colorado. It's just a fact. And it's going to come down to defense and special teams. And if Grubauer plays as well as he's playing, Colorado comes out of that series. If Grubauer doesn't play up this par or he has one or two bad games, I think honestly, Colorado's in tough and I think Vegas could take it in six or seven. So I think I'm hoping Kadri's suspension is reduced. Otherwise I'm going to be stressed out for a lot longer than I want to be. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with your point on Philip Grubauer as well. I think that's going to be
0: the biggest key of this series. Cause I, I think, Offense, defense, maybe you give the, the edge to the avalanche a little bit in those categories, but Marc-Andre Fleury has had an outstanding season for Vegas. He's obviously. unreal. And if Philip Grubauer doesn't even, doesn't even need to be better with him, if he, if he can duel with him on a nightly basis and at least hold his ground in that duel the Avalanche are going to be in a very good spot. But if if Flurry is only letting in one or two goals a game, like the Minnesota series has been a little weird because there's been some games where he's unbeatable. And there's two nights ago where he was like sub 800 and letting...
1: He has three goals on what, 14 shots or something? like
0: three goals on 13 shots, I believe it was. So I think Grubauer is going to be the biggest key to this series. If he plays like he did against the Blues, I think they're in pretty
1: good shape, Kadri or not. Yeah, it's just <clears throat> the last game against Vegas had me so worried. I mean, uh, Vegas outplayed Colorado so, like, hugely. Like, it would, Colorado did not deserve to win that game. I mean, I was pumped that they won it, but they were brutally outplayed, and Grubauer was the reason they won that game. So <clears throat> hopefully it's not the same style of play the whole series, and Grubauer does not stand on his head, but it looks like that might be the case. Yeah, I mean, the
0: especially if you take the last three games <clears> of <throat> Vegas into account, or you, you can put the last four games in there since that one was a back-to-back. You had the Avalanche dominating the first one. You had Vegas taking the second one in overtime, and what was a very fun game, in my opinion, but Vegas dominated that game late. You had the a banged up Avalanche team with Devin Dubnik playing <laughs> Vegas. And that I think that was the maddest I got at a game this season with just how poorly Devin Dubnik played. But and then you got the last one where Vegas beat the abs pretty thoroughly in everything except the scoreboard. And Grubauer stood on his head and you got a bunch of unlikely heroes to get the win in that game. And that's not going to work a ton over a seven game series.
1: No, exactly. And that's why, like, it's going to go seven. Like you would you would agree, right? It's going to go agree, seven I agree. games.
0: I so That, that yeah. is I think that's is, is an easy, a bet as I've ever had for a seven game series. I like this series to me is it's a clash of the Titans. Like, I don't think we've seen a a series between two such dominant teams in a long time. I don't think.
1: Yeah. Not especially in round two, nonetheless. Like I don't think if you look across the rest of the playoffs, there's only one team I would want to play less than Vegas and that's Tampa. And it looks like even if they get past Vegas, it's Tampa in round three based on if, if the Leafs advance. So it's going to be a tough road to the finals. And honestly, if let's say it's Colorado, Tampa in round three and Leafs against the Bruins, or I think that's how it would shake out. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then Colorado's, it, I think
0: Colorado's if Colorado is automatically top seed, it might be Boston,
1: honestly. Is Boston case. below Tampa?
0: I think. I'm not.
1: Yeah. I'm so not, maybe it's, it's maybe you're right. Regardless, like it, it, their, their easiest matchup might be in the finals if the Leafs get there. Like that, that that's the funniest part about it. Yeah, that, that's yeah. It's pretty funny
0: looking at like outside of Colorado or Vegas. It might be an all Atlantic final four. Isn't that crazy? If it's yeah. Toronto,
1: Boston and Tampa.
0: Yeah, that would be pretty fun, but it'd be pretty fun to beat all of them on the way to the cup. Yeah,
1: I mean, exactly. it'd be pretty fun I mean, for you
0: too, especially if they meet Toronto in that time.
1: Oh, if they meet the Leafs, it's going to be a war over here. I mean, I have so many family members, friends. Dangle. I, I honestly think I'd have to jump on the stream with Dangle if it was Colorado against Toronto, just to chirp them the entire time when the Avs sweep them. Yeah, you might be you might be alienated from that community for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: But yeah, the, kind of cover this a little bit. But it's like, outside of Flurry, is there anything about Vegas that has you truly worried, or let's say Minnesota? Uh, Gets past Vegas. Is there anything about either of those teams that would really worry you heading into a playoff series?
1: Honestly, Minnesota doesn't isn't a good hockey team to me. I I I mean, yeah, they have a great record, but I think Colorado walks all over them. The only thing that would be that they don't have success against Minnesota in the playoffs, just historically. So that's always in the back of my mind. So like, do they blow it against them again? Like, you know, near riders just. I can't stand that guy just because of the game seven winner. So, I mean, and Andrew Brunette, I, I liked him, I guess a little bit when he was in Colorado, but no, he's an enemy of the state. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, I mean, I don't, I want to play Minnesota just to get rid of them and it'll be easier matchup. And then against Vegas, like I said, like their decor is solid and their depth is just, to me, their forward depth is better than Colorado's with cadre out of the lineup. So that would worry me a little bit. Yeah. And, I'm
0: conflicted when it comes to the Minnesota Vegas series because Minnesota would be easier, but I can't help but feel like I would be disappointed if it wasn't Vegas because I you, I've, you I've,
1: want to down the guy, the juggernaut. Yeah. I, I yeah.
0: I mean, like, because I've felt like all season, ever since about like March, I've talked about on my show about like I just feel like there's this inevitable clash between Colorado and Vegas coming in the playoffs. And I've I've been thinking about it for two months. So for that to not happen. I feel like I would be pretty disappointed because I would expect them to run over Minnesota. Maybe not yeah, with see, relative ease, but I'm the opposite. I'm like, hard.
1: just, just win, just win. I don't care how it happens. I don't care who we play. Just win. And I like, yeah. I think Minnesota is the easier matchup. So I want Minnesota.
0: Yeah, definitely. But it's like with Vegas, like I can't help but feel like I'd be mad at Minnesota for taking that from me. Like I, I wanted those guys. That's like, cause like, I think even if I wasn't an Avs fan, I think I would just, look at this series as, like I said, a clash of the Titans and just one of the best playoff series I think we could have seen in the last decade or so. And I, I would be disappointed if that was taken from me.
1: It's kind of like, like, you know, NBC is like, oh, come on, please Vegas win this game because they want that matchup as well, just for the TV ratings. And I get what you're saying. It'd be just so like, it'd be so satisfying to get by Vegas and then go to the round three or to the Stanley Cup finals. But it's just going to be so tough. And that's why I want to avoid it. It's almost like the Leafs fans with Boston. They're like, yeah, we want Boston around three. If we get there. And it's like, do you though? Do like, you though? like, yeah, <laughs> they want to down yeah. Boston. So. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, be careful what you wish for
0: kind of thing. And definitely with me and wanting Vegas that badly, because I just might get my wish. I mean, game six, as we're recording, this is tonight in just a few hours. So we'll see if i get my wish or not but
1: wouldn't you also want to get rid of those minnesota demons though just that's just that's my them? other
0: thing is that like i'd be mad at minnesota for a little bit but maybe like after game one of that series be like oh this is just fine i i do not mind beating up on these guys
1: one bit so exactly like i mean there's no team i dislike more than minnesota so i would love to just Slaughter them in round two, yeah. especially especially end like their magic season, because like I think
0: this is might be one of the better seasons that Minnesota has for the next little bit, especially after they knock off Vegas, like to be the one to end like because I've they kind of have like a team of destiny feel to them right now with Kaprizov and playing above expectations mm-hmm. more than really anyone else in the league. So to end that. I would find that pretty satisfying, but they're almost like Colorado
1: from two years ago. Like the, the cool kids on the block, like the new kids on the block.
0: We beat, we beat the team to beat, and now like house money and all that. But I would definitely love to beat up on Minnesota a little bit, but assuming that they do get past either Vegas or Minnesota, you covered this a little bit. Who do you think is the avalanche's biggest threat to a Stanley cup bid?
1: Yeah, and I think it's the the cap cheaters down in Tampa Bay. I mean, they're $10 million over the salary cap in game one of the playoffs. Oh, coincidence that was ready in game one. Oh, how yeah, convenient.
0: Just, oh, look at that. We said that he was probably going to be back for the playoffs. He's definitely missing the whole regular season, but the playoffs, yeah. those are he'll, – he'll probably be back for those.
1: That's what I find, like <sighs> – I know they won't, but I feel like the NHL's gotta look into it. I mean, this guy started skating in March. You're telling me he wasn't ready till May when the playoffs started. Yeah, Come on. It's a,
0: it's a and the thing is the NHL did investigate it and it's perfectly within the rights of the rules to do it. And it's not even like they're the first to do it. I mean, you had Chicago with Kane all those years ago, but yeah. it's just it's such a there's gotta be some kind of cap in the playoffs.
1: Like what are they at? Are they at like a hundred million in no, I think they're at they're at ninety-one or ninety two and the cap's eighty two, yeah. so like I mean, they're, they're 10 million over. It's just extreme. Like, imagine Joe be like, hey, Jack Eichel, I know you're not playing right now, but your $10 million doesn't yeah, count like, against the cap. Imagine, on.
0: imagine we trade for Eichel in the offseason somehow, and we're like, we know your neck is recovering. Just sit, and we'll bring yeah, you exactly. back for game one. And we have a top six of McKinnon and Eichel as a one-two punch. And it's within the rules, so we wouldn't be yeah. doing anything
1: wrong. It's just, it's ridiculous. And that's why I think they're still a team to beat. I mean, they're the, they're the defending champs. They have the yeah. best defenseman in hockey and headman. I know Avalanche fans been mm-hmm. like, whoa, Kale McCarr. listen, Kale McCarr is not on headman's level yet. Let's be honest, defensively, anyway. He might uh, he's be better like, offensively. Hedman's hurt right now, but that, that that's true. Okay. But still, I would, if you had to pick one or the other to be on your team in the playoffs, you're picking headman. Um, even though McCarr is just such a weapon, obviously, he, he might win the Norse this season. Um, yeah, it's just their defense is stacked, their offense is stacked. Vasilevsky's probably the best goaltender in hockey. I mean, it's just how do you beat these guys? And if it comes to that in round three or in the Stanley Cup Finals, it's going to be very fun to watch but very tough.
0: Yeah, I mean, in my bracket right now, I don't know how I feel about it now, now that I've seen some of the playoffs have played out. I have Carolina making that third round over Tampa because I I think Tampa might burn out a little bit just from playing hockey really like nine months ago in the final and with how many yeah, injuries right. they have with Hedman and Vasilevsky has been beatable in the last month or so. So I have Carolina making it out of there. I mean, they've struggled a bit against Nashville. I don't know how confident I'd feel about them going up against Tampa Bay, but I the, the, the path to the cup I have after Vegas or Minnesota is I have Colorado playing Boston and then playing Carolina in the Stanley Cup final. I think Carolina is a very... Very good hockey team that people acknowledge is really good, but don't acknowledge just how good they are, especially with Njelkovic in net as a solid goalie.
1: Yeah, he's been unbelievable, eh? So far, it's just—it seems like you're uh, you're drinking the Steve Dangle Kool Aid with the Carolina Hurricanes. I know they're um, the they're the hot team right now. I'm not a Hurricanes fan. I just I have to
0: respect how talented they are. If I if I have to be honest here, my most of the people listening to the show already know this. Like the I'm a Caps fan secondarily. I grew up with them. And everything. So I'm, I'm not much of a, a Canes fan, but I, I think outside of Colorado, that's one of the best constructed hockey teams in the sport right now with how they've been doing business as of late.
1: Yeah, I mean, and they have one of the best coaches in the game, Rod Brindamore. I mean, and he's a, he's a terrifying human being, but I just don't, Carolina would be a, they're good. They're a great team. I just don't see how they beat Tampa and get there. It's going to be tough for them. And I don't want to face Nino Niederreiter again, so get Carolina out of my way. <laughs> yeah, especially the Nino
0: Niederreiter train. Just my only thing with Caroline is if Nijelkovic can hold the fort and Vasilevsky is beatable for Tampa, like he's been for a little bit. I think that's another seven-game series there. And it's just Caroline has been my, like, even before the season, I had them going this far, but now it's not like a cool underdog pick anymore because they're the top seed. But I think that's a solid hockey team, and I think Tampa might burn out sooner than – then later with some of their injuries and so how much they've played as of late. We'll, we'll I mean, see yeah, how, yeah. how their series against Florida goes later tonight. Maybe that series can even go seven as well, but
1: yeah, I think that series is done tonight, but I and that series has probably been the best one of the first round. The battle floor has been hilariously hilarious. It's been violent. It's been tons of goals. Uh, I just think Carolina's having such trouble with Nashville. I don't think, yeah, it's UC Saros mainly, but Vasilevsky's better than Saros. Sorry. Yeah, that's definitely it's definitely true. And that my my
0: faith in my pick has definitely been shaken a little bit by those three straight overtime games against a Nashville team that is completely outmatched against Carolina, or at least should be.
1: Exactly. I thought it was gonna be a sweep when I when I first saw it. Then when I saw two two, I was like, How is the series two two right now? And it's all it is mainly UC Saros and then Matt Duchesne scoring unbelievable goals. I was like, ah, I hate watching this happen. <laughs> yeah, it's just the, like. It's for other teams
0: I guess the playoffs aren't as easy as they have been for us so far. So some teams have to struggle, but yeah, with Carolina, we'll see with them. I mean, they're not done with Nashville yet. They still got to finish them off in Nashville or potentially risk a game 7 back on home ice for them. So you also don't believe in the Leafs then, huh? With the Leafs, I mean, I ha- I have them in the final 4. I I changed that pick because I had Edmonton in there. Oh. I changed it an hour before the puck drop for the playoffs. Cause I, I had a feeling that maybe Edmonton is not going to ride that McDavid trade as hard as I believe they would. And I was right, but the Leafs, I respect the Leafs. They're definitely the best team in Canada. I think that they're going to match up with either Carolina or Tampa Bay once they get out of the Canadian division. And I think just, those teams have more preparation against playing like Boston's played teams like Pittsburgh and Washington and New York, Tampa's gone up against Carolina and Florida for most of their season. And just the Canadian division, it's not as bad as people say it is, but it is the weakest division, maybe in contention with the West, but it's definitely not a very strong division like Montreal I don't think they
1: would have made the playoffs in a normal season. I don't think they were that good this year. You should have seen the hate I got when I said St. Louis was better than Montreal. Everyone was blowing me up like, oh my God, how could you say that? And I was like, dude, they would, they would beat Montreal in a series. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they just
0: straight up. I mean, the Habs were hot for what? 10, 15 games. And they were 500 the rest of the way against teams like Ottawa and Vancouver, like, and you throw Winnipeg in there. Obviously they just swept the Oilers, but the Oilers kind of just exposed themselves as not being as good as we thought they were. So,
1: And I will say in Edmonton's defense, the playoff hockey rule book is ridiculous. Like if you watch like them play, like Connor McDavid's getting mauled on every shift. It's just like, it's clearly holding penalties every time he's on the ice and just, they don't call it. And it's, I hate that. Put the whistle away. nonsense. It sucks. I mean,
0: was did he? I believe I saw that McDavid drew zero penalties in four games.
1: Like something ridiculous. And like I think, Dom at the Athletic did a piece on it. And I think they counted and he drew or he had thirty infractions against him in the four games when they counted on film. And I was like thirty, and none of them were called. Like what's going on? Yeah, it's just it's
0: it's a broken rule book and that series was close, like three straight overtime games. And the, the only game that didn't was a one goal game before the empty netter. Like, just like you want to talk about the, the opposite of the avalanche series that was as far from by the book as you can get like game one, you had Dominic Tony scoring a yeah. game winning goal and then the rest go to to overtimes. I mean, the Oilers if they played a little bit better, could have swept that series the other way. Like,
1: Yeah. It's got to be the closest sweep I've ever seen in my life. I mean, when you have three overtimes, the only thing is I will say about the Canadian division is the playoff hockey sucks up here because there's no fans. Like it's just, the atmosphere is terrible. I'm watching. I'm like, this feels like a preseason hockey game. I know it's the playoffs, but like when you're watching the American series, it's just like, these are so much better with the fans. I
0: like, I found myself more invested in Carolina and Nashville, which I didn't really care much going into it, but seeing those crowds in Carolina and Nashville and especially the Jets series. Like they were down four to one in game three and they would have been at home. Like, oh, I mean, can you imagine I the crowd just noise for that? And a triple overtime series winner for a sweep on home ice, like just, and Toronto, Montreal with no fans just doesn't hit. For yeah. Me. Like
1: you finally get that series after 40 oh, years or whatever God. it is. And just and no fans in attendance. There's
0: nothing there. And it just, it, it hurts my soul watching those games because they should be so tense. And like, these epic clashes, but there's just that's why I'm, I'm hoping fun. that
1: Montreal wins Game Five because they said that they have fans in Game Six, and that'll be awesome. Because I will say the Bell Center is the toughest place to play on the road in hockey. Yeah,
0: I would definitely say so. And what a shame for no fans in that. Like we were saying, like it just would it just would have made what has been entertaining hockey even better. I mean, you you just see the difference across the league having fans there. It's just it's just not the same. <laughs>
1: I was in attendance at the Bell Center when Colorado lost 10 to 1 four years ago, I think it was. And it was the worst experience of my life. I had all these Habs fans around me. It was and just every goal. They're standing up like four and five right in my face. And hey, you want to switch jerseys and just all the chirps. It was it was hilarious. But at the same time, I've never wanted to leave a game so fast in my life because I think it was five-nothing after one. And I was just like, What's going on? And I forget who scored the only goal. I think it was Blake Como. When he scored to make it like eight one, I was like, hey, come back. I started standing up like an idiot, but yeah, that was a good time. It would
0: have been better if you were wearing a Patrick Wall jersey there. That might have gotten a few people upset. For sure. (laughs) Well, I think that can just about wrap up our talk here. Drew, thank you so much for coming on. Anything? Do you have anything you want to plug before we wrap up?
1: Uh, Watch a Leaf game with Steve Dangle. Come on YouTube and uh, if you see it, join the stream. Yeah. All right.
0: And Definitely. You can find drew at uh, sportsnet.ca on their YouTube account and everything does some fantastic work. If I must say, I've seen you definitely some quality videos over there at sportsnet, but Drew, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And especially spending as much time with me as you have today. I really appreciate it and hope we can have you back again soon sometime in the future.
1: Hey, if they make the Stanley Cup finals, I'll be back on. Sounds great. Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much, man. All right. See you, buddy.
0: And that was the one and only Mr. Drew Livingstone of Sportsnet.ca. You can find all of his work on Sportsnet's YouTube channel. Just a really well-informed Avalanche fan. Just a very pleasant person to talk to, I must say. That was a very fun conversation with him. But to wrap up the show today, like I said before the interview, not a ton going on with the Avalanche at the moment. Sampo Ranta skating in place of Newhook at practice, Newhook on the ice, and we'll see about his availability for game one of the second round, but I really did like Drew's idea of maybe starting the second round with 11 forwards and 7D so you can get Byram back into the game and maybe test how he's feeling and his readiness while also getting Nemeth and Timmins minutes as well. I mean, when you look at the potential options as to who you can plug in if Newhook isn't going to play, I mean, would you rather have Kiefer Sherwood or Liam O'Brien, or would you rather have Bo Byram come back in and give minutes to Connor Timmons and Patrick Nemeth and maybe minimize some of those minutes for those guys or minimize minutes for Bo Byram as he gets back into the swing of things? I just think that's a much smarter idea than just maybe plugging Liam O'Brien in instead of an injured Newhook. Hopefully Newhook is available for game one, but I, I have my doubts with him not practicing with the team and everything. He's on the ice, and I think that says well for maybe later in the series, but for a 20-year-old that you just brought in the NHL, I don't think you risk anything that can potentially carry over into next season or that would require surgery like it's so early in his career especially with you can put Bo Byram in and give minutes to Timmons and Nemeth and minimize those minutes I just think that's better than putting O'Brien or Sherwood in but we'll ultimately see what happens with that I think we've got some time before the next series to figure things out I've been thinking about maybe when this next series might even begin I was thinking on the last episode maybe Saturday or Sunday and I might stick with that. Vegas, they're playing game 6 against Minnesota tonight and if that series wraps up there, I would maybe suspect that the series might begin on Sunday the 30th where the NHL has no games scheduled. But if that series goes 7, that game 7 would be on Friday, maybe it would be on maybe Monday or Tuesday. I would think I would think no later than Monday, honestly, even if the series goes seven, just because you don't want to, if the series goes seven, like Vegas or Minnesota shouldn't be getting that much of a, a break because you should have wrapped up the series earlier, honestly. But Sunday, there's definitely going to be some round two games starting, depending on some, if we get some other matchups before that. I mean, today we've got the Penguins and the Islanders. Penguins currently up three to two and early in the second period. But if the Islanders come back and wrap that game up, we'll have Boston waiting for an opponent, and the Islanders will be their matchup. Maybe that can start then. Tampa Bay-Florida is going to start later tonight. Tampa Bay can wrap that up, and Carolina can wrap up their series against Nashville tomorrow on Thursday. So maybe you can throw one of them in there. I think it all just depends, but I think a solid bet as to when this series could start could be Sunday and I think maybe Monday at the latest so we've still got some time to rest and get everyone healthy and figure out what we're going to do in the meantime and looking at the second line for this team right now without Kadri and without Newhook maybe as an option cap friendly on the depth chart has JT Kompfer as the second line center and Jonas Donskoy on the wing of Burakovsky I mean it's fine I guess I'm not really opposed to it I would prefer Tyson Jost getting second line minutes instead of Comfer I just I just trust Jost a little bit more and I think like a Burakovsky Jost and Sod line would be very good but breaking up the Sod Jost and Nachushkin third line that's that's a tough sell for me that's a very good line that did some very very solid things against St. Louis in the first round honestly that might just be your second line anyway You plug all those guys up there because Burakovsky wasn't as great as I was expecting from him in the first round against the Blues. I think that's one thing we didn't bring up when talking to Drew is Burakovsky maybe can be better. he He definitely can be better in the second round against Vegas or Minnesota, one assist in four games. But Burakovsky usually saves some of that magic for the elimination games. If the Avalanche's season is on the line, then maybe you'll start to see Burakovsky start to come through here. But I think your second line, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably going to be Brandon Saad, Tyson Jost, and Val Third line going to be Burakovsky, Kompfer, and Donskoy. It's just, this team's so ridiculously deep. And your fourth line, Carl Soderbergh, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, who was very, very good against the Blues. And Alex Newhook's on there right now. I don't think he's going to be there for game one. And like we were saying, depends what Bednar decides to do. You could have Kiefer Sherwood, Liam O'Brien. I mean, Sampo Ranta is practicing with the team right now. And for those of you unfamiliar with Sampo Ranta, third round pick from 2018, the 78th overall pick. He, back in the NCAA, University of Minnesota, 19 goals in 31 games, 31 points in 31 games, and in the AHL, 14 games, seven points, and four goals, and in the playoffs with the Colorado Eagles, a goal and an assist in two games, so I don't know if he would be a playoff option. I Maybe they're doing something with just playing him a little bit with the NHL squad for development. I don't know if they would put Sampo Ronta in the lineup against Vegas or even Minnesota that, that'd that be one hell of an NHL debut I know I know it worked before with Kadri I'm i tongue-tied right now I know it worked before with McCar against Calgary but that was a bit of a different scenario I mean McCarr was finishing up his his college career and immediately came over after the national championship so I don't not quite sure what they're doing with that but Definitely, it's something to keep an eye on as the second round draws closer, but outside of that, not really a ton to report on with the Avs right now. They're just in recovery mode at the moment, and hopefully everyone who is banged up and injured can get a little bit of rest and get healthy, and this team can catch their breath for a little bit. Hopefully not too much. I mean you've seen some examples of teams coming off of sweeps and they've got a struggle to get back into playoff mode against teams that went deep in their other playoff series. I don't think that'll be a problem with this team just because they're, they just seem to have the perfect mindset for the playoffs. they so like, they're not even satisfied with their series against the blues. They, they, they feel like they could have done better, which says a lot about the character of this team, but going to be something to keep an eye on a little bit. I, you're you're definitely rooting for minnesota tonight to force this series at least seven games i mean i'm i know a lot of you are rooting for minnesota just win this series outright and i don't entirely disagree but realistically vegas is likely going to win this series even if it does go seven but i i wanted minnesota to play them so that they could kick the crap out of each other and i predicted vegas in seven when the series began so this is kind of going according to plan for me but I wanted them to kick the crap out of each other, and now what's going to be a well rested Avs team going up against a a bruised Golden Knights team, in my opinion. That's what I think is going to happen. Minnesota, I think they got a a hell of a performance from Cam Talbot in game five. I mean, what did he. What what were his shots in that one? Did he make 38 saves on 40 shots, if I remember that right? And Flurry let in three on 13 shots. So I. That would, that's a tough performance for minnesota to repeat i know they're at home and vegas historically has struggled in minnesota but not in this series whatsoever minnesota scored the first two goals in game three and vegas ran off with nine straight after that so i don't think being at home is much of a comfort for minnesota right now i think that series is gonna wrap up tonight i hope it goes seven I still think Vegas wins that one. I don't maybe I'm just going to be wrong on all counts with this as I just am sometimes, but realistically I think we're still prepping for Vegas and to for a very very tough 7 game series. Like I was saying with Drew, that's a, that's a 7 game series right there. I I don't see any way that series goes less than 7 outside of something going horribly wrong for either Colorado or Vegas. I think that's just, it's a Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans with two outstanding hockey teams that I don't think we've seen really since like the Capitals and Penguins meeting back in like 16 and 17. But even then, like there was always like the the stigma of the second round and the Penguins for the Capitals. Like this is just like a clean slate, no real demons in this series it's just two incredible hockey teams going toe-to-toe and ready to beat the crap out of each other they are very very even i think the avalanche have the edge on offense drew thinks vegas has that but we both agree that they have the edge on defense and vegas has a bit of the edge in goal i mean with flurry and leonard it's hard to argue that vegas has the edge over anybody in the NHL with goaltending like that. But if Grubauer can duel with Marc-Andre Fleury, and he doesn't have to be better than him. He's he's just got to give the avalanche a shot. Like You're coming into each game maybe not expecting to score more than three goals. And Grubauer, if he just shuts down Vegas even just a little bit, doesn't have to be better than Fleury, just enough to keep Vegas I'd say under 3 goals. I think you're in a very good spot to win that series at at least 4 of 7 games against Vegas. I'm just so like I'm just so excited, honestly. I know it hasn't happened yet and I know Minnesota is still in it. But come on. Colorado Vegas, I just I wouldn't be mad about playing Minnesota, but I would just feel a pain in my heart to have that series taken away from me i feel like i've waited all year for this i feel like i talk about it every single episode but i just wouldn't be able to bear not having that series because you who knows when you'd get it again we almost got it last year but you had the whole goalies going down game seven overtime and dallas just randomly going to the cup final like you don't know when you're going to get any of these series again like that's why i'm bummed that edmonton got swept because Now there's no possibility of a Matthews and McDavid series happening probably ever again, because the only way that would ever happen now is for those teams to meet in the Stanley Cup final. And as we've seen, it's not easy to get there, as I'm sure Toronto and Edmonton can attest to. But I just, man, I really want that series. I've, Again, I have no rooting interest in that series. I'm not going to root for Minnesota to win. I'm not going to root for Vegas to win. I will be satisfied with whatever comes our way. We'll see the result of the game tonight. By the time this is up, we might have Vegas as our opponent. Depends on the result, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. Thank you all. So, so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Follow me on Twitter at G Young's NHL and follow the show at Tell It Abs It Is. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time. Enjoy your time off from hockey, and I will see you all when we have round two ready to get underway. Enjoy some of the downtime while it lasts.